can't stand it how you feeling how you doing it's on a a 23rd of october that i come to you hat in hand no not really hat is on the head jay hawkins screaming in the background how you feeling so here's what we got going on for the week it's quite frankly we're back in the saddle again here in New York, it's old York. Not the oldest York, but it's pretty damn old now. And um, we're going to have a great guest stop by in a little while. That is Jay Myers. We've got Jay Myers from Jay Myers Documentaries coming by. We haven't talked to him in a while. It actually feels like it's been about a year or so. And I, um, I'm looking forward to it tonight because it's going to be... You and me and Jay Myers talking about a little thing called Project Blue Beam. But from the standpoint of what is, what are we really talking about? What is it really the essence of it all? Well, the essence is putting a spell on you. Well, it's like that in a way. It's, a, it's full sensory immersion in something that's not real. Illusions, delusions, there's a lot of that going on right now. That's how they sell everything to us. It doesn't have to be about aliens. That's why I think it's really good to talk about Blue Beam because it's not so much focusing in on whether or not there's going to be a fake alien invasion at the end of all this. It's about examining the opportunities that actually do exist technologically to screw with everybody beyond the old ways of screwing with their minds, which is getting a bunch of highly paid gangsters in the media to peer pressure you and your friends and your family into thinking that lies are truth by saying it over and over again and using this little thing called consensus to make you feel like you are the outsider, the black sheep in the world when you really are the majority. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight. Of course, it's a, it's, it's plenty of spooky, spooky stuff going on. And we'll be doing a lot of that for the, throughout the week. But Jay Myers, he has, um, he's got a new video out. I linked it in the description on Project Bluebeam, the fabled Project Bluebeam. We'll talk a little bit about the, the famous theory and the probability that it'll be attempted, if not already, and the probabilities for success. That's also another interesting prospect. And in the second half of the show, there will be time for calls and extras. I have some really interesting extras. And then around 8.30, we're going to be hopping off because then Jay Dyer, okay? So Jay Myers leaves, and then Jay Dyer comes on for session four of five for the book club, Mario Puzo's The Godfather. And man, I don't want this book to end. It is really, I don't want this book to end. It's so good. 
and, and of course, there's always stuff in there that's really interesting that that relates to geopolitics and and history. Uh, a, a little bit more of a fuller picture of the history that was going on at the time, the seen and unseen. That's all going on there. But it's a very philosophical book. Uh, obviously, it's it's very entertaining, very well written. It's just it's I love it. Very stimulating. Very stimulating. The doctor just turned Lucy Mancini into a virgin again. Literally. Tried to sell her back up because she didn't. <laughs> so you, so I tell you, you just you had to be along for the ride. Don't worry. In about a week and a half or... No, no, no. In about two and a half weeks. Sometime in November. The whole the whole series will be... It'll be all public. So you can, you can read it on your own if you'd like. But you got to be in on it. You got to be in on these live sessions. You really do. All right, so let's see. Let's go and thank our sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. <laughs> BlueMonsterPrep.com. You can, they, they have a lot of things there, nothing that will turn you back into a virgin. Nothing. Blue, <laughs> Blue Monster, you're on your own. Pat and Gina can only do so much. They, could, they can't work miracles here. Come on now. They can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. But... Um, Blue Monster Prep, emergency food, drinking water filtration, gas masks, heirloom seeds, solar power generators. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So good. So grand. We got gold and silver resources on quitefrankly.tv. That's quitefrankly.gold, actually. We got so much there. Start your holiday shopping on quitefrankly.tv's affiliates page. We're going to have a new... Uh, I, I mean, we're this close to settling on a, a coffee, so... There's that. That's coming along. And uh, and then what do we have this week? Well, tomorrow I will see for the the band practice shortened show. We have a, a, a date that we're that we're we're playing in in um in whatchamacallit in uh, Jersey City on the fourth. Whole bunch of bands that are playing. It's very short sets there, but we're opening up for a TikToker uh, celebrity that Anthony knows. His name is David Michael Frank. We're going to be there. So this week and next week, we're definitely going to have practice just to be able to to sharpen up. But tomorrow, I don't know what we do for tomorrow. I was working on something that may have to get pushed into November. But uh, after that, we've got Carol Hughes coming on Wednesday night, the 25th. And we're going to be talking real ghost stories online. She's a uh, uh, the host of a show. And we'll all be talking about uh, creepy small town stories as well especially if creepy small town stories in the middle of nowhere if you're traveling like travel stories that's great greg carlwood will be be back on with us on october 26th on friday the 27th we've got matt we've got matt but we also might have a special guest caller calling in you remember our our friend in the audience just turned 100 years old i think we may be able to interview her for a little while on Friday night. Thought that would be swell. I know Matt would really like that. So um, there's that. As far as Saturday night goes, October 28th, the Saturday night special, I'm not sure on it yet. I need to make sure that I have the right right cast of characters. It's just not me sitting in here with a pumpkin to carve like a loser. So um, I, I big plans for the Saturday night shows and giving them major facelifts and what they are as a showcase and something really outside of quite frankly it's it should be a special there should be something that really is distinct about it so i'm thinking about things that uh may need a little bit of time to develop but one way or another uh i will keep you 
abreast of what's going on Saturday. And then next week is going to be great. Kicked off with Rich Barris on Mischief Night. That's October 30th. On Halloween, we've got Dr. Albert Taylor coming back to talk about some of his paranormal adventures, but also also to answer some follow-up questions I had about his last appearance here to talk about out-of-body experiences and his astral travels. On November 1st, I just brought on Mr. Bob Mota. Bob Mota. He is uh, highly uh, esteemed to... Uh, he comes with great... I mean, he's a an esteemed... How should I say this? Well, the Zells are a big fan of his. Very big. I, I know about Bob Mota because of Frank and Jim Zell. So Frank, you got to get this guy on. It's great. He can talk about true crime. He's a big guy. He's gonna. He's coming up in the uh, in the the new media with that. And also, he's a really great guy to talk to about the Delphi murders. The, that's the murders that were going on in the Midwest. About the, that now it's implicated that it was all uh, Odinism, pagan ritual sacrifice, and how the police are lying profusely to cover it all up. So Bob Moda is coming on with us on November 1st. Chris Ann Hall on November 2nd. Cross your fingers. I would love it for Chris Ann Hall to be in studio. You just don't know. Rolling the dice. One way or another, she'll be on with us, and I have so many things to bring up. We've got comedian Mike Baldwin. This guy's funny, and I followed him for a while, and I hope that a lot of you follow him after this, and he'll be on. That's a Friday night, so hopefully he uh, and... He'll be having a good time with me and Matt, and we'll all just talk about what he's doing and crack some jokes, and and then away we go. All right, so that's what's going on for the rest of this week and next week. I've got some big big news to talk to you about, but I don't have time right now. Perhaps if tomorrow is a little bit more of a low-key night and we do a little bit of a call-in show, perhaps I can talk about it there. I'm very excited about it. It concerns the future of the show, uh, especially going into 2024, and I, I'm very excited about it. I love this show. It's my life's work, and I feel like it's a great opportunity for growth and uh, production expansion and independence and stability going into what is going to be a minefield of a year 2024 and beyond. So be on the lookout for that. Keep your ears and eyes peeled tomorrow, probably. Okay. Into the grab bag we go. Now, there's some things I need to say. It has to do with the war. Well, first things, this is this is just something else. Here, take a look at this. Here's a headline. Did you hear about this? Michigan State apologizes for Adolf Hitler image on Spartan Stadium scoreboard. Who let Ilan Omar in the production booth at uh, Michigan State is what I want to know. Michigan State is apologizing after an image of Adolf Hitler. I just love how the image of Adolf Hitler can show up anywhere and everybody... <laughs> I just love how the image of Adolf Hitler, uh, Tiny Mustache Man, as Jay Dyer would call him, could just pop up anywhere, and everybody will go, ah! <laughs> I think it's hilarious. You don't have to like the guy to think it's hilarious. Everybody's quick, we have to apologize, apologize. Like they showed nudity or something. It, it's just... There's something about that that's just still funny to me. It's not funny. Multiple images circulating on social media on Saturday show an image of the Nazi leader's face on the stadium's largest scoreboard alongside of a trivia question uh, answer about his birthplace. Oh. Oh, so it was a trivia? 
Michigan State said the scoreboard content came from a third-party source. The school no, will no longer use that source and will update its screening procedures. So this is even more innocent than it sounded like? That It's even more innocent. So it was just a trivia question about where Adolf Hitler was born? Oh, man. That's pathetic. That, well, that's, <laughs> that's even funnier. I, I'm afraid that's even funnier. <laughs> All right. All right. So um, anyway, on that note, speaking of Ilan Omar and all the rest of the craziness that's going on right now, I'm sure you've seen it. Here's from Zero Hedge. Pro-Palestinian mob shuts down Minneapolis streets, terrorizes motorists. If you were wondering why the pro-Palestinian protests in the U.S. today are starting to look a lot like BLM riots of 2020, it's probably because they are made up of the same people with the same political agenda. No doubt about it. Uh, Minnesota has one of the concentrated Muslim populations, the most concentrated in the U.S., but it also as well uh, known as a Democrat stronghold. Palestinian protests across the country are predominantly banned by far-left groups like Antifa, uh, or manned by far-left groups like Antifa seeking to attach themselves to minority issues as an excuse to wreak havoc. The political alliance is perhaps one of the most unhinged in the recent me- memory, given that Muslim Sharia culture runs contrary to the majority of progressive beliefs. Now, this is something that you could tell anybody at any point. Now, since we're all we're all being we're going to be talking about illusions and projections tonight, I did want to do a little a little hit on the latest with the war. And when I say the war, I mean there is really no differentiation in my eyes from what's been going on in the streets here since, uh, you know, in in, in an escalated fashion since 2012. And then, of course, throughout 2020 and then the war in Ukraine, it links into that. It's all the same people. It's all the same money. The 2020 elections, COVID, the Great Reset, it's all the same thing. And it is, at least for the time, expanding. Having noticed these wars, they kind of expand, they consume resources, they consume land, they consume people's property, they consume civil rights, whatever, and then they can kind of contract a little bit. They can kind of contract a little bit, and then their resting position is bigger than it was beforehand, and then it digests, and the digestion process is a normalization process, and then it gets hungry again and expands, and well, that's what we're doing right now. And apparently there's over 100,000 people, some some estimated, marching in London, pro-Palestine and all this stuff. And I don't really care who you're, who, you're, um, who you're marching for because the real issue here, the real issue here is that I have no love for Israel. I have just as little love for its neighboring Arab states. I have no obligation to. I don't give a shit. And um, see, this is why, I, and I also another reason why I don't give snakes, snake women, like Ilan Omar, brownie points for any of their fork-tongue statements. Never. Just not getting into bed with a snake. And uh, whereas it is 100% true to say that it's not our war, that is buried under several layers of other facts and obfuscations. Number one, millions of Middle Eastern transplants have now been relocated around the Western world and put into places like Minneapolis and elsewhere, and for them, it will always be a very personal war, okay? And so we now have to live around them when they are triggered into demonstrations and protests, and it also acts as a reminder of how, the, how little they care about being a part of our culture. 
Um, at least very, I mean, come on now. It's not quiet about it at all. It's just all right there. Number two, even when we say it's not our war, even that needs context because you and I, you and I who just care about completing a respectable day's work and leading a quiet, happy, healthy life as possible, uh, it is not our war. We did not want it. We had no hand in it. It is, however, very much so the responsibility of those who own our governments and um, and the ones who have had their beaks in the shit in the Middle East since the beginning, especially with Israel. So there is just there's just so much going on right now, and 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 this is the best the best one about it. Everybody's talking about uh, you know things are running uh, contrary to progressive beliefs, and what are the bedfellows that are being made with Antifa and Muslim Sharia protesters and this and that? I'm like, well, hey, hey, I've been talking to you about these people for a long time. I told you they're the rooftop dancers on in Independence Day. That's what's going. That is what the the modern day, uh, you know, mashed potato brain progressive is all about. Take a look at this. This one w- was widely debated across Twitter and ev- elsewhere today. It's a it's a, an article written by Constantine Kissin. It's called "The Day the Delusions Died." A lot of people woke up on October seventh as progressives and went to bed that night feeling like conservatives. What changed? Now, obviously, not possible just because of their their a war new conflict breaking out in Israel amongst them and the Palestinians or Hamas I should say in particular and then there is so much on display across the world about who is rooting for who and who denounces whom and all this other stuff and th- that does not make someone a conservative or a liberal no that I mean I, I think in the in the two-party delusion that we live in right now, that might make sense because there really is no difference between conservatives and liberals aside from what kind of social issues they stand on. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. They're all for central power. They're all for devalued money. They're all for, you know, internationalism and the worst brand. And, uh, and of course, getting in bed with foreign nations and getting in, entangled in all of their uh, their problems and in many ways being the start of some of their more recent problems. So this is what they're talking about, the, del- the day the delusions died. And we don't have enough time to get into all this stuff, but it, it is a matter of delusion. You remember not too long ago in Minnesota, we were reading about all of the gay rights activists who were very upset that their town council has been taken over by complete, taken over completely by Muslims, and suddenly they don't want any gay pride parades, and they don't like the they they are banning the flying of the gay pride flag flag, and they're like, wait a second, we stood by you. It's like idiots, dummies, rooftop dancers in Independence Day. Where's your foresight? Nowhere. With their foreskin. It's gone. Remember what I said about intersectionality. Well, here's another one. Here's another one for you. The left has really let us down. Why many American Jews feel abandoned. Again, foresight gone with foreskin. The left has really let us down. Why American Jews feel abandoned. Well, I mean, intersectionality, ladies and gentlemen... It's that concept that everybody on the progressive left has a gripe 
they represent a very small slice of the pie, an obscure slice of the pie. I'm a boy who thinks I'm a girl. I'm somebody who thinks I'm a this. I represent this foreign interest. I represent this special interest. Uh, on our own, we are a fraction of a percent of the population, but if we band together, we can defeat those terrible nationalists, those awful American patriots that just want government out of their lives a little bit more. And what happens when that happens? What happens when they are able to cobble together a, a, uh, a majority in some way? Well, then, eventually, when the revolution is over, as we have seen many times over in world and domestic history, the revolutionaries will start prioritizing their own gripes. And they will crown each other kings and queens, and then they will kill everybody else that stands in the way of getting their comeuppance. And, of course, anybody who could see this, could see this coming a mile away, is now sitting back and going, okay, now what? Now what? That we have, we have sat back and we have cheered the nobility of importing tens of millions of people who didn't actually want to come into the liberal West, the secular West, or the Christian West. One thing or another, however you look at it, as a secular uh, uh, civilization or a Christian civilization, none of that jives with what lives on outside of our borders. None of that jives. At least in the Western Hemisphere, people coming up from Central and South America are mostly Christian, mostly Catholic. You can work with that, even though they don't care about anything else that our Constitution has inside of it. What do they know? All they know is that life is probably shittier where they are and that there is free food and free money a couple of thousand miles north and and they don't know that we actually don't have any money left and it's all being put on a credit card. What do they know? What do they care? They don't. So this is just what's going on all over the place and whoever has foresight is obviously um, in the minority, at least in the media, at least in the media. But I want to show you something. For those of you who don't watch the same movies that uh, some of us do, here's Independence Day, the rooftop party. Here's a bunch of people going up to the rooftop to welcome the aliens. There you go, our stripper friend. Please take me away. Welcome. Make yourselves at home, aliens. <laughs> there you go. They love it. Thank you. Welcome, aliens. Welcome. You must leave now. You must leave now. Yeah, don't, 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 don't worry about that. So now, all of a sudden, oh, we're about to be welcomed. Oh, isn't it cozy? The nice blue light, blue beam. It's so pretty, right to the very end, dumbasses. Right to the very end, dumbasses. I don't know, something's not right. That's the sound of common sense. That's the sound of what the hell did you expect? <laughs> oh, the rooftop dancers. What are you going to do? All right. We'll be right back. Jay, Jay Myers on the other side of the intro. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. 
And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, ladies and gents. Welcome to a new week of fun. Hold on a second. Okay. So, I just gave you a little bit of a literal blue beam right there. I got to, um, when we talk about bloom beam, though, we are usually talking about the unleashing of a technology to coerce people into action. Now, it's the ultimate action. It's the consolidation of world power in a way that the, uh, that the League of Nations and the UN could never do in its current form. So it's, um, but like I said before, it has been done and is being done right now in a very low-tech kind of a way when you compare it. Already, when you think about it. Well, you know, whether we are talking about the need to quarantine the planet because of the flu, Operation Flu Beam, or uh, impending doom brought on by climate boiling. You remember that? Remember that? What was it, what was it called? Global boiling? Global climate boiling, they called it. And, uh, well, that's not... Um, that's the besides that's besides the point it's all about creating that kind of illusion that we are on the brink and something bigger than all of us has arrived and we need to band together or else it's just all done it's all done and whether we're talking about that we're talking about these wars even with these wars where there's no doubt that people are dying that buildings are getting leveled and there's a lot of money being wasted who is winning how did it begin whose side should we be on is there even a side to be on? You know, whatever the issue is, we are often dealing with tightly controlled projections that are meant to limit choices and opinions and coerce people into actions that usually do not benefit them or the world at all. But what happens when media can't peer pressure you? That's what I want to know. What happens when the media can't peer pressure you into believing that a lie is the truth anymore? What happens when nobody cares about North Koreans or Iranians anymore? What happens when only 2% of people are willing to take new COVID boosters? You know, where, how do you up the ante? That's the basis of Project Blue Beam theory, the use of technology to forge what some would say even a supernatural experience for a mass population to go and uh, spin that into, I guess, some kind of a form of a consent to act on the world's behalf. Because whether it's another massive war or whether it's a confront confrontation with a galactic neighbor, there is a global reset on the side of all of this. They have told us about it. It's coming our way. Well, 
Coming back tonight to discuss the theory and more is our friend Jay Myers of Jay Myers Documentaries. He has been pumping out thought-provoking documentaries on everything from the occult filmmaking, the secrets of the royal family, and just last week, his latest on the fake alien invasion, Project Bluebeam. The link is in the Rumble. Uh, the link to his Rumble account is in the episode of this descri- uh, the description of this episode. Welcome back, Jay Myers. How you feeling, buddy? Hey, man. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I feel like you come back once a year around around the spooky uh, time of year and that's it yep we made another trip around the sun man <laughs> that's how you know a year has passed some people wait for uh, december 31st i wait for jay myers to come back yep yep that's right so you know jay i'm just gonna throw this out at you regarding your latest work fake alien fake alien invasion project blue beam a lot of symbolism but also a lot of real real stuff going on there and i'm just going to ask the question that i saw so one of your commenters asked, and that is, um, it, fake, everything seems fake these days. I mean, they seem like they fake and obfuscate everything else. Why not this? So go ahead and tell us a little bit of those who have never gotten the soup to nuts version of what Project Bluebeam is. Tell us a little bit about how the theory got started and how it was uh, mainstreamed. Yeah, so the idea um, is actually that the government would create a fake alien invasion, which would be used to um, basically consolidate um, power between governments and create an off-planet threat, which we would have to unite as a species to defeat which is sort of what, that's the dream that the Illuminati has had for a long time, right? The one world government. you know, George Bush Sr. said, you know, talked about the the New World Order, this idea that we don't hear that as much. Um, now they call it, um, you know, geopol- geopolitical unity or whatever. They don't say the world New World Order anymore, but that's – if you look at the WF, that's what they want basically is one centralized authority that would have power across governments. And you see that with how they try to put – people in positions of power that are on there. They're part of the WEF leaders or whatever. And you also see that with how um, a lot of times, sometimes even enforcing COVID measures, it wasn't troops from that country. It's like UN troops, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, foreign troops that come in to actually enforce international laws. So that ultimately is what they want. And if you go back, this act, Sergei Manast, he is the, um, he's the guy who talked about it. He's a Canadian um, journalist and lecturer, and he wrote a lot of other things, but he's, most, he's mostly known for Project Bluebeam, and it's written in French. He's a, he lived in um, uh, Quebec, so he spoke French, and um, he popularized the idea that the government not only had the technology, but wanted to create a fake alien invasion. But he didn't come up with the idea. Uh, there's a classified CIA document came out. It was originally came out in 1953, and it was uh, submitted by the U.S. Director of the Central Intelligence, Walter B. Smith, and it details how UFOs could be used as psychological warfare. So this is sort of a card that they've had up their sleeve for a long time. Um, and the technology is just now catching up to their plans. Well, it, right, right there, it, it, it that is a uh, 
an indication that the UFO phenomenon is controlled in many ways by the government itself because you can't say obviously the writing and the idea of UFOs can be something that is used in a psychological operation against people but it's more so you need to be able to make sure that these th- these things are seen and if you're not in control of them then how can you use it effectively in any uh, way to shape a narrative Yes, the CIA has admitted in a tweet, they brag about this. This is how they brag about spending their tax dollars. They admit in a tweet that um, they said, by their calculations, over 50% of the UFO sightings in the 50s and 60s were them. Hmm. I can show you that tweet. Yeah. I was like, what? You're just bragging about that? But yeah, so if they, they're already experimenting with that as far as back then. And now, you know, with the technology that they have, let me get into this a little bit, but the holographic technology that they have now is so advanced that they can make images in the sky of UFOs. And uh, Janet Morris is actually, she's worked for, um, for the government creating these type of weapons and specifically in um, psychological warfare. And they call them uh, non-lethal weapons. So the idea behind non-lethal weapons is basically anything up to the point of killing someone. So a lot of that has to do with creating auditory hallucinations, um, voices inside someone's head. Now, they say, okay, well, this is going to be used to get combatants to lay down their weapons, right? They actually call it the voice of Allah sometimes because it was created theoretically to convince that specific one was created to convince Muslims to give up basically, but they can do it with anything. And um, they actually have advertisements uh, in other countries where literally like you walk beside a billboard and it speaks to you. I didn't know that. Um, And I've I've seen a lot of hyper reality videos out there i know that in in world uh, in uh, vietnam when our psyop our psyop programs were being our first generation psyop programs in in warfare were being uh uh created there that they were doing a lot of that kind of stuff in the jungles too um where where they were projecting the sounds of either i mean what were supposed to be the spirits of the dead uh things that were really trying to get into the psyche of of the you know at least the the traditions and the and the the folklore of the people around there so we know that 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 has been and that's the one thing i liked about what you did with this 24 minute video which we are going to show after this show is off air on the uh, on the network programming on quite frankly tv is that not only did you do a great job documenting the evidence that shows this particular form of warfare um, has been considered viable in the past, um, but you have also collected a good amount of published works that show that the technology definitely exists for all of this stuff. You, now, you had the hologram, uh, audio, what is that, audio, la- there's something about lasers that, that was able to deliver audio. Is that, was I, am I remembering that correctly? Yes, that's the that's the voice of God technology. That's um, it uses um, pulse modulated microwave radiation to create the to create voices inside someone's skull. 
So that's what, and you'll see this in the documentary, there's a guy in the library, the library is completely quiet, and he has a thing, he will direct the sound to one particular person in the library, and no one else but them can hear it. Well, you know what? Let's do that right now. I have I have that clip ready to go. It's about two and a half minutes long, but I think that this would really be nice to spin off of. So let's jump to that clip. This is from Jay, Dyer, uh, Jay Myers' recent Project Blue Beam, the fake alien invasion on his Rumble channel. Hold on one second. Here we go. Okay. Another technology that could be used to create the appearance of a spectacular alien invasion is voice-to-skull technology. First developed in 1962, voice-to-skull technology, or V2K, allows for the transmission of audio signals directly into the recipient's head. It is described by the Department of Defense as a neuroelectromagnetic device, which uses microtransmission of sound into the skull of persons or animals by way of pulse-modulated microwave radiation. These induced sounds are not audible to others nearby. Dr. Joseph Pompey, who's got a thing about annoying people with sound. The whole idea of his sound spotlight system is to make sure that only one person can hear him, even though they're 20 meters away. Hey, you there. You on the laptop. Are you downloading illegal files to the library network? I hope not. Hey, you there, studying. Miss, can you hear me? I think it's time for a break. Hey, you, looking at CDs. We're watching. <laughs> the device would be used for psychological operations, creating a seemingly divine voice commanding opponents to surrender. Dr. Robert Duncan put together the technology that allows the government to transmit thoughts and voices into the heads of Americans. Dr. Robert Duncan. First question for you, what's negative about what you've done? Uh, <laughs> I've empowered the dark side by some of my work. And what do you mean by that? Technology is neutral. It, right. it can be used for good or evil. evil. I've worked on projects for the CIA, Justice Department, Department of Defense. Is this the stuff, voices in the head and things like that? Yes. They're called voice of God weapons. So you know for a fact that these weapons that you worked on, they're being used domestically today? Absolutely. If this technology was developed decades ago, how far might it have advanced in secret? Now, Jay, I, gotta, I just got to say, uh, listening to that, and and hearing obviously that's Jesse Ventura on on uh, on his show that was that was live I don't know it feels like 15 years ago at this point man that was a great show it really was it really was but even even Jesse's kind of uh, taken the bait on some really ridiculous scams I can't believe he's done so anyway I would say well nobody's perfect no nobody's perfect. And he's getting older, too, so you, you never know yeah. what's happening there. But what he says, asks, is this being used domestically uh, right now? And, of course, right now is years ago at this point. The first thing I think about is these new types of drugs that are, are finding their way onto the streets from coast to coast. They're, they're, they're like the, the, the zombie drugs, the trank stuff, whatever, and, and the level of schizophrenia on the, scre the streets and everything else. I start thinking about the way that we are 
our I, I don't know our environment is just so toxic in many ways as far as how everything is contaminated a little bit with nanoparticulates and y- you name it however that all can be used and if this can be employed in some way I mean what kind of test subjects could they they could they can use anything especially the homeless hundreds of thousands on the streets you can just do whatever you want to them and they and they are acting crazier and crazier Oh, absolutely. And uh, we know if you look at just look at MKUltra, they burned almost all the MKUltra documents. But what little we have that remains, we know, and through um, MK Search, MK Naomi, they were experimenting on unwitting American citizens. They were drugging sometimes unwitting American citizens. And all this was being done as an experiment. They were observing the, you know, what happens, basically. Mm. Um uh, Operation Midnight Climax. It's just exactly what you would think it is. They literally had prostitutes that worked for them. They would be sitting behind um, like a, two, a two-sided mirror, and they, the prostitutes would drug these people. These people had no idea that they were part of a government project. They had no idea. Um, and they would be observed. And literally, they even put in a little porta potty in the room so the guy could sit there all night and watch this happen. And this was that was what your tax dollars are paying for, folks. Hmm. But anyway, yeah. So we know for a fact that they have done tests on government. I mean, on uh, citizens. So it's it, absolutely. I bet they are. Um, I bet they're just testing drugs on the street and then just observing the uh, observing what happens. Well, yeah, they could absolutely be testing this. And you know, another thing it reminds me of is uh, this Neuralink. Because that's a whole that opens up a whole different world of possibilities, you know, if they can convince people to take that. Well, you know, when we talk about aliens, that's when everybody starts rolling their eyes. But when you really get beyond when you really get beyond that, a that the idea that in this case there would be no, uh, you know, actual actual aliens, but b what would be necessary to make it. Well, it's been there for a while. You covered also in there, this is something we've talked about on the show, but it's been a long time since it came up, because usually when it comes to Cuba, we're talking about weather warfare that was employed to try to take uh, take some, some crop damage to Castro by drawing rain away. While we were you know, uh, talking about the uh, Vietnam with psychological programming, we were also employing some of the first-generation weather warfare techniques out there, too. Well, uh, in, in the, uh, the, the Western Hemisphere around Cuba, we were, whereas we were flooding the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Vietnam, we were actually drawing vital uh, rain sources away from Cuba to kind of starve their sugar crops out there. But not only that, you covered a little bit more holographic um, ideas that were being floated to, uh, to, try to, to try to stir things up in Cuba as well. Can you talk about that? Yes, this is Jacques Vallée the, in the interview, um, in the documentary. Jacques Vallée talks about how um, this is all declassified. There was a plan to use a submarine, surface a submarine outside of uh, Cuba, and use holographic projections to create uh, the second coming of Christ. And they were either going to do holograms or they were going to do um, basically fireworks. It's like they have a a fancy word for it, but it's kind of like fireworks combined with um, an auditory thing. The idea was convince them long enough because they're Catholic to that the second coming of Christ is there. The idea actually was that it would overwhelm their communication systems 
and then they would be able to do an invasion that way. Mm. So this is something that's it's really not as far-fetched as it sounds, and we have the techno- the government has the technology. And if you imagine that was back then, they've got a lot more advanced technology now. And people are like, well, yeah, it'd have to be across the world. But the idea is they're going to project different different things in different parts of the world. Yeah. So if you could, if you could convince you know people that there is actually is a UFO invasion, then you could sort of unite the world that way under one centralized government authority, and it doesn't have to be complete. Just get let you know each country cedes a little bit of power, and you know. A little bit becomes a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, and before you know it, you're not living in a um, a sovereign country anymore. You're living in a country that's controlled. Well, let me ask you this, because in in your your in this video as well, you lined a few things up that I thought were pretty interesting, and I, I want to know if it reflects a personal point of view of yours. But you were uh, you, you mentioned that woman before who is in the program to develop these non-lethal, almost like active denial uh, systems. Uh, what was her mm-hmm. name again? Uh, Carol Morris, oh. Janet Morris. Sorry, Janet, Janet Morris. Yeah, and yeah. and you're talking about you're talking about how these laboratories that were creating these weapons, creating these technologies, were around the the the, the southwestern, uh, uh, south by southwest United States, somewhere around the the Phoenix, border, around Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. And then, of course, right afterwards, there we have in the late '90s the Phoenix Lights. The mid to late '90s, the Phoenix Lights start. And I remember hearing all about that, and it was covered in waves. First, it was a little bit of a local phenomenon, then it couldn't be contained. And a lot of people have a lot to say about that, whether or not it was it, it was a massive black mothership object in the sky, or from what I have to imagine, you are positing that there's a possibility this could have been a test of those types of uh, of those holographic systems right there around the same area in the country where the these um, these technologies were being created. Yeah. So the idea is, I forgot. It's in the documentary, but there's a uh, there's a military base that's around Phoenix, and this is where they test a lot of these non-lethal weapons. And um, people saw lasers in the sky before they saw um, supposedly the UFO or whatever. So the idea is that. Um, they picked Phoenix um, to test these, the holographic projections. And there was one in Mexico City, too. Mm. Um, yeah. To test the holographic projections. And yeah, and it made, I remember, too, it made um, national news, uh, the Phoenix lights. So, yeah, that's the, the idea was that um, there were several um, UFO sightings that occurred out west like that. And they were saying, well, is it just a coincidence that it occurs near um, a place that's known for testing this type of technology. But, um, you know, you saw, I was watching your show just before I came on and you were showing that clip from uh, Independence Day where everybody was coming up to celebrate. I think it would be like that. I think it would actually, I mean, you saw how everybody went along with the COVID thing. I think a lot of people would go along with it. I think that people want something, man. Um, the economy's not doing great. The country's, you know, it's not doing so great. Um, we're living on a credit card. We're living on borrowed money. I think people want, they want the next thing. They want the next big distraction. Um, I just hope they make it good. Well, you know, that's the whole thing there. There's got to be something physical about it all. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's where a lot of people, even if they don't look into this stuff and they're not really interested in even just letting their mind run wild with the, uh, the, the um, you know, because at the very least, I love looking into these stories just because I feel like it's a really great, 
test and exercise for the imagination what's possible and and you know just have some fun with it but you know this goes beyond that at a certain point where we are looking at a a world government apparatus or an emerging emerging world government technocratic apparatus that is really they are searching for the next big thing it's not just that people want the next thing they're searching for the next thing because we're, we're getting sick of the rogue nation leaders of the world. We're getting sick of all the, the threats that we've been told. We need. I mean, I actually think in the situation we're in right now, Jay, that, um, that the threat of nuclear, nuclear uh, war is really, I, I almost feel like the, the deterrence of that is so ridiculous. Uh, everybody's nations are so intermingled and, and migration has thrown populations and cultures all over the place. So it's not even like if you, you, you know, you bomb a country, you're just, you're just bombing your enemy. It's like you're bombing all of your people too. It's like everybody's all over the place and the world is in such chaos. I'm always looking at nuclear deterrent as something that is less and less viable. Um, so, I mean, wh- where do we go from there as far as people are going to want physical proof of that? I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you're bombing your customers. Exactly. <laughs> but but it, the yeah. other thing is there too is to see something in the sky and to also be able to see something right in front of you and be able to touch something is is totally different. Um, I, it, it'd be a lot easier to tell people, hey, you know, these are some of the aircraft that the government's been working on. It's not that hard to put an airplane that nobody has seen overhead. Just over the weekend, we had an F-18 fly over uh, fly over my town. It was it was landing somewhere. I don't know what the hell it was doing there. Everybody, we live right next to Westchester County Airport, so we live with the constant droning of 737s flying overhead at low altitudes all day. That that sound doesn't even do anything to us. This was completely different. A fighter jet overhead, everybody is looking up, everybody's talking about it for, you know, a county or two over. Uh, so it's not it's not very hard to say, well... That's a that's something we haven't seen before, but it doesn't have to be alien, you know. So where the hell's the physical proof going to come from? Right. Yeah. That, I mean, but do they, do you need physical proof? Was there physical proof of COVID? Not really. No. You know, if if you just create a big enough boogeyman, people go along with it. But no, you're absolutely correct. Um, maybe they don't need holograms at all because if you have um, experimental aircraft that are you know big enough and dramatic enough, you could do it that way. And um, if that's what we, like, they say the government, the technology that the government has is like 30 years more advanced than what we have right now. So if you imagine what the technological achievements that have happened in the past 30 years, if you imagine that, what, you know, look at what we have now projected out 30 years, who knows what they would have. Mm. And that's not including all of the uh, billions of dollars, trillions, maybe, uh, that they're spending on um, black budget technology development black budget projects that we have no idea about you know a trillion dollars goes missing from the pentagon we have no idea um what are they doing in the secret underground deep underground military bases that they've got scattered across our country and around the world too in australia and other places you know what are they doing down there yeah great questions great questions and i i always um i always forget about that whenever i'm looking at the obscene amount of federal land uh west of the mississippi that should not be. 
completely unconstitutional for federal the federal government to own that much. Like, I, and I, I usually joke, but like the state of Nevada is like not even a thing. Most of it is is federally owned land. And what you, is it like ninety something percent? It's ridiculous. You yeah, can, you can I was, yeah. You can find federal land maps where like it it, uh, it blotches out all federally owned or, or controlled land in red. And west of the Mississippi, it is just like a wash in red. And and when you look at that, you think about okay, national parks, deserts, nature preserves, maybe a few military bases in there. But you never, mm-hmm. you, it, you, you often forget about what might be going on underneath the surface, underground. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we know. I mean, it's already declassified that they've built um, underground facilities into some of the mountains. Um, I forgot what mountain it is, but they have an entire underground facility that they can evacuate um, all the members of Congress to in in case of an emergency. So it's not um, it's not out of the question at all. And we know that they have these deep underground military bases, and um, I believe that they connect probably with tunnels, you know, um, across the country. Well, you know, you were so. you had brought something up before, and that is about the projection of technology going into the uh, going to the future. You know, thirty mm-hmm. or so years. About five years ago, as I put the federal and public land uh, surfaces and subsurfaces map on the screen, look, Alaska is all is all taken too. Um, about five years ago, the Modern War Institute on YouTube uploaded a lecture that was delivered by one Dr. Charles Morgan. And this was a lecture that was delivered at West Point so, uh, you know, to cadets at West Point. So it's a, it's a pretty official presentation. We're also gonna put that in the after hours programming tonight, mixed in with your documentary as well. And in it, Charles Morgan discusses with great excitement, mind you, the ability, there, here are some of the things, I took a couple of the, uh, the, the points there. Took, uh, he he discusses the ability to number one send motor function from one human to another. That means remote controlled human beings. Number two, he talks about brain to brain interfaces and the incoming ability to interface with other brains without actually penetrating the physical skull. So we're talking about remote control transmission of either telepathic thought or whatever the hell else. Uh, Another, uh, among many other things, the modification of memories. That means, Jay, not only the implantation and transfer of memories, but also the erasure of memories. And, you know, if you're talking 30 years, I think it may be somewhere between 50 and 100 year head start rule that is in effect here. And if that is the case in with this as well, then the fact that this is technology that they are comfortable disclosing on a YouTube video in a public lecture, if that is what they're comfortable disclosing now, then what they are actually in possession of is probably far more horrific. And secondly, I think that would also add a lot to the believability of what you're talking about here. I think the average person is thinking they're going to look up and see a pixelated version of Jesus in the clouds, and this may be a lot more of a full sensory experience complete with voices, thoughts being broadcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's terrifying. I'm going to watch that uh, that lecture, actually, because I haven't seen that. But, yeah, what you're talking about is it's terrifying. It's almost like induced schizophrenia when you think about it. Oh, hell yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that could absolutely, absolutely happen. And, um, yeah, your people are – people are assuming that it's going to be something where, like, 
it's up that over New York City or whatever, but that wouldn't be very effective if you think about it. What would be more effective is if they had a way, like you said, to actually put it into your head, like implant it in your head, and a lot more people would believe it that way. It would be a lot more believable. Um, the idea that they can modulate your memory, that's crazy. That is I have not heard about that. So like oh, yeah. I said, I'm gonna watch that I'm gonna watch that video. It's nuts. And, and I'll tell you that that is the the least of it. There's uh, there's other amazing presentations that they're talking about how they've gotten to the point where they can actually store moving images in bacteria and actually have the bacteria reproduce itself with the images inside of the pretty much the genetic code of the, the bacteria. So whenever a uh, bacterium had you know, split and, and, and multiplied inside of it, these moving, very basic moving images of like a horse galloping was able to be reproduced as well. But they're storing, they, they have found a way to store memory in, in biological material. And I, I, like I said, if you can access this stuff on YouTube, Jay, what the hell? Now, with Manast's book... So can uh, I ask, so can the memory be transmitted, like, if another person gets the bacteria or something? Is that what you're saying? It could be. Or, or it could just oh. be, it, it could also just be a really interesting way of hiding it. You know, it's one thing, everybody's right. always looking for, hard, if, you know, sensitive materials on hard drives or whatever. Uh, what if you can hide the thousands of terabytes of material in a tree? Who knows? Like data collection. Oh, yeah. Just, you, yeah. I mean, I mean they, they know what they're going for. I mean, sometimes the experiments can seem silly and uh, and pointless to us but usually the silly pointless experiments are proving one microscopic piece of a larger puzzle so um so yeah but um so back back to manast and the book um where has that gone uh, he, did he did, i heard he died not too long after the book was published what was going on with that he died a mysterious death um so after the book was published uh, things kind of took a nosedive for him. Uh, the Canadian government, he was homeschooling his children. They accused him, the children, of not getting a good education. They basically took his kids from him legally. And then he, for some reason, was arrested. The day after he was arrested, he died of a heart attack. And for those of you who don't know, the government has, and they've actually bragged about this is open, uh, this is declassified they have a heart attack gun a gun that can create a heart attack i've got the clip of them talking about it um in congress in one of my documentaries i think it's the one about uh, stanley kubrick yeah and they can it's like a heart attack they call it a heart attack gun it shoots a dart into somebody's body that induces a heart attack so manass died of a heart attack a day after um spending the night in jail who knows um, if he was killed or not, but certainly suspicious. You know, it seems like people that speak out, oftentimes, they don't, they meet a very mysterious end. So that's what happened to him. Uh, but no, for people that think it's it's out there, I mean, whenever technology comes out, they're going to push, push the limits of what they can do. So if you think about in the 30s, when everybody had a radio, what do they do? Orson Welles did that um, fake alien invasion, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, War of the Worlds, the War of the Worlds broadcast, which is historical sort of uh, radio broadcast in the world of radio. And um, a lot of people freaked out. Now, they did say it was going to be a, it was a stage radio presentation, but for a lot of people tuning in, they had no idea. And um, people believed it. It got a lot of, um, a lot of people very upset. And so, you know, 
whenever technology comes out, they push the limits of what they can do with it, and they see how far they can go. Who knows? Maybe that was a test even back then. I, I th that's the third thing I think you'll really enjoy tonight's after hours programming, Jay, because that is the third video that I sent over to the guys at the network. It was yours. It was um, it was um, it was the uh, the the West Point. Uh, presentation that we were just talking about Charles Morgan and the third one is a an episode of James Corbett's uh, podcast that I've put on the network a couple of times it's called how to fake an alien invasion I think you are going to really really like that one if you haven't already seen it it talks a lot about war of the world's broadcast in the 30s and um, all of the research all the money the grant money that was put into researching the effects of that that media um, uh, on the public by the Rockefellers and beyond. You you really got to listen to that. And but you know, I was listening to the, the, the now the heart attack gun. I remember that one. Not because I was there. That was in I think it was in the middle of the church committee in 1975 that they revealed the heart attack gun. And I think that Sidney Gottlieb of MK Ultra was a part of developing that in some way um, because the the toxin that they used for the the heart attack gun to actually deliver the lethal dose was some kind of shellfish toxin toxin so there is a a, a strange mk ultra uh link to the heart attack gun itself but when it comes to manast you know you and i were talking a little bit before and i i i'd like to just say that you had brought up albert pike before we had gone live and that was something that was interesting i think a, a, an interesting link between he and manast because whereas albert pike and the alleged blueprint for three world wars, whether or not that letter was written by him, which we said it's very contested, and we wrote a blog about it, but between Pike and Manast, there's really a lot similar between them because uh, whether or not Pike wrote the letter to Mazzini and whether or not Manast actually was really in the know as to what was coming and what was available, both published works cannot be discounted for their accuracy, both in the trajectory of world events and also the trajectory that developed technologies has taken in the in the decades that has since passed. So it's that's really what I think is most worthy about this subject matter is that you, the, the, the biggest problem or a, a biggest mistake a person can make is saying this is what's going to happen when. But. You know, the real question is, is it possible? And what are the elements that make it possible? And you, you laid it out very, very convincingly. Yeah, I mean, I think that they both kind of had the same uh, general idea, the idea that there's going to be an international crisis, which will be used to um, unite the world, basically. And Albert Pike was saying it will be used to um, basically exhaust the resources of the nations in the world so that they can be... Um, united together under one power i think that's similar to what monast was saying and you're right it's not like they're they're nostradamus or anything they're just looking at what is going on and projecting into the future what could happen or what might happen um, and in the in that sense i think that they're both uh both very similar and both possibly correct well then i have a final question for you uh jay and it's a big question to me that i i've never really had anybody uh, answer for me and that is uh why would they want why would they want to do it uh, i mean we know yes create a galvanizing event that merges the world um but then what 
I mean, the the aliens just go away at that point. Uh, the, the fake Jesus. Does fake Jesus tell everyone to obey Klaus Schwab and I'll be back in another 2,000 years? And eat the bugs. Yeah. E- eat the bugs. I'll be back in 2,000 years again. <laughs> you know, like there would have to be a residual Wizard of Oz scam to keep the illusion in place. No, it can't just be one thing and then, all right, now that you guys are uh, are combined, under, we'll go away now. I mean, what... It can't just be one event. It has to be something that stays behind. I mean, you're talking about everything that's been thrown at us in just the last five years alone. You have the crisis. You have all the solutions. You have the you know that Hegelian kind of dialect that goes on. But then you have the what what um, what uh, uh, Yuri Bezmenov would call that normalization feel. Uh, that that last phase where we are led into the new normal. And the chaos kind of subsides, and we accept a new standard of living, which is obviously lower than before. Well, what is going to be the new standard of living after the alien catalyst? They can't just go away. Yeah, what do they want to do? I think they want to create some sort of Elysium where they've got the the technology that's been developed, you know, for centuries or whatever, and they... Um, they're way more advanced than us. They, you know, the elites live a completely uh, disconnected life from uh, the average people. Um, I don't mean disconnected in like a spiritual or that kind of sense. I mean literally, like legally and financially and every other way. Um, they are a complete different class, and um, maybe they are living off planet. Maybe um, they've got they. They want to do that with the technology. Um, maybe that's part of, you know, they want to put a chip in everybody's brain. If you don't have the chip, then you're, you know, you're killed in some way. You know, you die in the war or you die from um, artificially created famine or whatever they want to do. Um, I think they want a much more, well, we know they want a much more controlled world. They want a world where everyone's in an electric car. They shut the electric car off if you say the wrong thing. They cut off your... Uh, your money if you say the wrong thing you're only allowed to travel once a year you can only meet once a month or whatever and everybody's life is sort of controlled in some sort of little nanny state and if you're one of the elite then you live a completely different life Mm. and freedom there's just going to be a premium on freedom we have to make sure that freedom is our number one thing number one thing that we want to protect i'm with you on that one jay uh so what what are you working on next I hadn't planned it out. Um, I want to do something about uh, still a lot of people going missing. Did you hear about that story a few weeks ago? Uh, just this year alone, a lot of a lot of kids have gone missing. Um, I think it was in Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio. Or in like Ohio, that. yes, yes. Ohio, yeah. Um, Get Out was a documentary. That's all I got to say. I'm uh, I'm researching that, and um, people are like, "Well, there are runaways." Yeah, but a lot of runaways end up being sex trafficked. That's the thing. Right. And and, yeah. and and the and the numbers that they were talking about was incre- incredible. Incredible, yeah, way, way more than any other city. So it doesn't make sense. So yeah, something's going on there. Okay, well, hey, as always, I'll be on the lookout. You take your time because whenever you do release something, you can tell a lot of time and care was put into it. We will be uh, airing this latest release of yours after the show concludes on QuiteFrankly.tv, and also for everybody to go and sift through your larger um, archive. The link yeah, Rumble and BitChute. There you go. The, well, the link to your Rumble is in the description of this episode, so hopefully people click through. And, uh, and yeah, anything you want to leave us with, my friend? 
Hey, I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this after show. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye. There you go. There is Jay Myers, uh, fresh off another doozy. Fresh off another doozy. So, ladies and gents, we're going to take a really quick break. After intermission, we come back, and I have a couple things, a uh, couple of extras to throw your way, and I'm going to read your Super Chats. You have time to go to quitefranklysuperchat.com, send me some thoughts to read on air. You can also throw a few uh, thoughts in your Rumble rants, and, of course, the native gold pills on quitefrankly.tv, powered by foxholepill.net. Send over those gold pills. I can't wait to read those. Yes. Don't go anywhere, or else you'll have to eat the bugs. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 How dare you? Back are we. All right, so we have a nice 25 minutes before I get off to do book club. Excited to do that. Um, let's go over to our super chats and see what people are saying. Then we'll throw open the lines. Maybe we'll get a couple of calls too. Shake and Bake sent two super chats. Shake and Bake says, Hello, Lord Francis. I really enjoyed the morning show today. Speaking of Megadeth, Dave Mustaine and I have the same birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Meow. He has 30 years on me. In college, I knew word for word and could sing along with Sweating Bullets. Love that song. You know, Megadeth, I never really, outside of like Symphony of Destruction or something like that, I, I really just never got into it. Uh, and, and not because I don't think that 
they, they, you know, the musicianship isn't great. I don't necessarily care for Dave Mustaine as a vocalist, but, you know, still, they, I mean, look what they've done. Great stuff. Also, Thomas Hake is something else. My first Meshuggah song I ever saw, heard was The Demon's Name is Surveillance. Sounds like two Browning M250 cals going off for four and a half minutes. So much big dick testosterone. Oh, there's a lot there. Now, I never saw Meshuggah live. Um, the, actually, the guys, everybody went to go see Meshuggah and Strapping Young Lad together on the night of my prom. When I went to go to the prom, Anthony, uh, a couple of my other buddies, they went up to Poughkeepsie to see Meshuggah and Strapping on Lad um, performed together at the Chance Theater. And I missed that one. But we got to play with Strapping on Lad a couple of years later, which was nice, at the Chance Theater. But Meshuggah, I have not seen them live yet. You know. Um, as far as... Do they have... Well, I don't know. I've played, I've played you know, very popular songs. Like, popular in the metal world. I don't think anybody else out there... Has been listening to Meshuggah. Um, anyway, good stuff. Very, very amazing drummer. All right, let's go into the Rumble rant. See if anything is there. Everybody's chilling in Rumble. A nice little crowd, but no rants. I can't believe it. On Pill.net, where they're always very active, Robert Sarns. Thank you so much. Porpoiseful, thank you. Sean Joe, Chai Possum, NJSF, Sean Joe again, Jesse81138. You are all wonderful. Now, let me throw this at you for your consideration. Here is a businessinsider.com article. This is from September 21st of this year. Okay, it's the day, my brother's birthday, and the day that I left for Jay Gulinello's health retreat. And I ate bull testicles for four days straight. Japanese. <laughs> just kidding. It was only a couple of testicles and it was about two and a half days. Japanese researchers say that they used AI to try and translate the noises of clucking chickens and learn whether they are excited, hungry, or scared. Researchers think they've found a way to use AI to translate the clucks of chickens. The Japanese researchers say their AI system could help understand the chicken's emotional state. The study has not been peer-reviewed, and the researchers acknowledge limitations to their methods. Now, you can it's, it's, this is not a very long one um, at all. Here's one, one paragraph for you. Uh, if we know what animals are feeling, we can design a much better world for them. Choke, told the New York Post. Choke. I guess that's one of the doctors there. Uh, did not immediately respond to the insider's request for comment and made uh, outside of normal working hours. So they're talking about how you can get on into the mind of a chicken. How can you create a soothing voice inside the chicken's head to, uh, to alter their world? Now, this is from a couple of months earlier, a couple of months before the Business Insider article about uh, the AI dipping into the heads of uh, chickens and this is from 4chan so it's and it's just a little bit of food for thought okay it's not a LARP or anything like that it's just some food for thought I think it's uh, worthy of consideration this is from June 9th of this year 
After watching a certain species of bird for long enough, humans have been able to monitor certain sounds, calls, and alerts. If you were to record those sounds and play them back, it's possible to have a conversation with that bird or animal. I'm not saying that I believe 100% that we can have conversations with animals or even that we understand the recorded sounds completely. I'm trying to get to you uh, to envision a scenario where our brains can be blasted with MRI waves and just like we can record the sound of animals, they figured out how to record the energy of our brain waves and how and whatever energy our brain waves make. Just like we analyze the sounds, an AI is used to monitor the signals our brains make after doing certain activities and typing certain stuff. This gives the AI power to write the firings of our brains into readable transcript. With all the targeted satellites, cell phone towers, and electronics, they have mental mapping of, the, of certain areas. The last part, uh, so they, we're talking about mental mapping. That's outside of the very, to this point, primitive things that they have available, like we were seeing in January 6th when Jake Tapper was bragging about how you can actually tra track cell phone clouds of, you know, people walking from Trump's speech to the Capitol and all that stuff. They're pretty much acknowledging they're, they're following you and they're watching us and all your conspiracy theories are true. So, but now we're talking about they have the ability to create mental mapping of certain areas, just based on how some of the, well, well, asking the question, I guess, based on how this technology can actually already interface and pick up on active human brains, which as we know are electrical mechanisms, bioelectrical mechanisms. The last part is the scariest. We can play the recorded sounds back, possibly tricking the bird into thinking one of its own is talking. Imagine once they know what the language of your brain speaks and they start sending you signals, thoughts, and actions. Such as, have you ever had a thought and wondered where in the world did that come from? Have you ever been mid-conversation and blanked out on what you were going to say? You probably have been the target of them sending MK Ultra mind control signals or bombarding your mind with frequencies in order to get it to blank out. This in combination with weather, weather modification has brought them onto the steps of Babel and they are bringing about the demise of others without care. One man or one woman's uh, opinion? One schizo's opinion? What do you think about that? Um, you know, so the reason why I pair those two together is because the Business Insider article before, uh, before, and then of course that one really makes you think about what Project Blue Beam in a in a mainstream sense has all been about. It's all been about the light show, you know, the light show that they're they they want to put on to fool some some you know dopes out there who don't know that this basic technology exists. But what if that light show? That is Project Bluebeam is only the beginning of what it could mean. You know, we often wonder if we would ever, if it would ever be possible to fool people. We, we tend to disregard a few points, especially of 8 billion people on the planet. Uh, we're still a minority, even though we are a growing minority. And what of the ability to project thoughts, voices, emotions remotely? Memories. It becomes a much deeper sensory experience at that point. So anyway, let's take some calls to end the show for the next 15 minutes. 914-595. No, sorry. Old number. 914-200-0269. Have you been 
mind-controlled before. You can call it on that as well. But we only have 15 minutes. So you must make it good. I feel a sneeze coming. There's a sneeze coming, and I don't know where it is. It's, it's in there, kicking around somewhere. 914-200-0269. First one up, 517, you're on the air. Go ahead. Wow. All right, thank you. Um, this is uh, this is the Monday Night Dude again. I've got a story to share. <clears throat> wait, wait, wait. Who is this again? Is this this is uh, Jesus driving the minivan? I don't know. Is that? I mean, I feel like that's too long. I need to be more concise. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, listen. Sorry. Listen I'm, again. Keep it short. Again, yes, yes, please. Couple, couple of minutes okay. at most. Okay. June 9th, 1999, me and a friend of mine, after my high school graduation, we were hanging out, partying. We went to visit a cemetery just down the road from where I grew up as a child, hanging out, visiting a friend who was buried. It's like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. We've been staring at the stars and seeing all sorts of crazy pinpoint lights. Oh, what's that? Is that a UFO? Maybe that's a UFO. We're sitting there talking crap, talking crap, talking crap to him. And then we decided to, like, all right, it's about 2.33 in the morning, the witching hour. We're going to go and take off. And we lost his vehicle in the cemetery. We walked up and down all the roads in the cemetery leading back to the main road. Did it twice. Finally found his truck in a spot where we had already walked through. It was not there. We're sitting in the vehicle, and back in the 90s, people still had cassette tapes. So he's picking out some music to listen to, and I got my head leaning on the window frame of his Ford Ranger pickup truck and I'm looking up in the sky kind of like eastward but up and uh, I noticed this like big white light coming into the frame of the in my peripheral vision I'm like what the hell is that and I position myself where I'm looking straight up with my head on the window frame and I'm looking straight at the the uh, iconic triangle you know flying saucer not saucer but flying triangle and it was following along the interstate north and it was like dead silent. There was the only thing you could the only thing you could hear would be the consistent, unbreakable, unwavered flow of, of energy, like between two poles, two pillars. And there was a light in each corner and then a bigger round circle light in the middle and they were concaved, like going up into the craft. As it headed north up the interstate, it flew over top of two billboards that were lit up with 16 lights, each each billboard, right next to each other. It lit up the bottom of this craft that was only traveling at maybe three, no more than five miles per hour. That's very slow. Over, as it flew over, it's super slow. Too slow to really maintain flight without some sound, something, Frank. And it ends up flying over the overpass or flying over the the billboard signs and the lights illuminate this aircraft it was only like 100 feet above treetop level and as it goes over it was like 100 yards by 100 yards triangular and it was about three to five stories tall and the the texture of the ship itself was that that uh, Steven Spielberg uses for Star Wars, that blocky type of, you know, Minecraft, you know, texture. It wasn't smooth like like uh, Flight of the Navigator. And you could tell where the right angles and everything ended and curved. But we saw that. 
my buddy, he claims he never saw it. Nope, even though everybody, even though he saw it, he didn't want to be considered crazy by everybody. Years later, fast forward, like almost two decades later, sitting around a bonfire, uh, bonfire and uh, shooting some shit with a buddy and his friend and his neighbor, and we sharing stories of crazy things. So I shared that story, and this guy that I'd never met looks at me from across the fire pit and says, dude, I don't know you from Adam. You just described exactly what my grandfather caught on VHS from his front porch, which was adjacent to the interstate highway, different vantage point. He caught it on VHS. Did you so go? I'm not crazy. Well, wow. wow. Okay. So you and his grandfather, you saw the same thing. And that is a very, and thank you for the, you want to give us a, 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 a moniker or some kind of a name I can say? What's your name? Uh, oh, what's a nickname? Well, I'm on your text thread as General Zero, so you can just call me General Zero. Well, thank you for the call, General Zero. That's a, what he's describing there is a massive object, 100 yards by 100 yards. If you're talking equilateral, uh, you know, with, with the triangle, and then the thickness being multiple stories, I mean, that's a, that's a gigantic thing. Hey, uh... Rich Barris described a mammoth, almost like city-sized object. And Rich is a very sober-minded guy. I'm sure that General Zero is, too. 505, you're on the air. Go ahead. Frank, hey, man. So hey. this is Jeff Cohen from Arizona. What's going on, Jeff? Go hey ahead. Hey, man, can I, make a, hey, can I make a couple of quick comments about uh, the music you play on your show? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Okay, so... Uh, Hey, man, so uh, one time at the beginning of your, your show's fantastic, by the way. I listen to it every night. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so so at, the, at the beginning of, of your shows, you always play the intro music. Mm. And and one one time you mentioned uh, Stick Figure. You said, oh, this is Stick Figure. This is great music. And I, I, I've been, I, I checked it out, man, and it's one of my go-to uh Go to bands, but I was wondering at the beginning of your shows, is that it, uh, can you like you know maybe sometimes you have something a little unusual on there because it's always great. Just mention the uh, the artist. Oh sure, sure. I'll, I'll I'll get down to mentioning the artist, and we'll be able to play a lot more uh, music soon because, like I said, I, I have some pretty great uh, news to announce. But what I'll say is this: also, uh, if you go to quitefrankly.tv on the on demand section. Uh, always check out the, um, I know it doesn't help you if it's just like, hey, what is the, the song he played on Wednesday night show? But everything that I, that appears on the show, all the music that I like and I put into the show's rotation to create atmosphere or just to chill out or whatever, um, I, I put it into the official, quite frankly, Spotify mixtape. So there is a uh, there's okay. a there's a playlist on the website where all this so so stick figure and everything else I play on the show over the years is usually in there. So there's a lot of stuff you you'll probably like. Nice man, nice. And is is uh, is any of that your music? What type, what type? You're always going to uh, you know practice with the band. Like what kind of music do you play? Well, we is, is that on there? All of the 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 music videos that we play are is ours. Whenever I go to break, whenever I go to break and I play a music video, that's ours. Whether it's ah. Anthony's uh, solo projects or Set the Charge, that I, I play the drums on Set the Charge. So anything that uh, any songs that I play on this show in its entirety is usually our in-house created music. So, um, but other than that, if you wanna you wanna check us out, we're also streaming on Spotify. 
Awesome, man. Hey, thanks so much, Frank. Hey, man, keep it up. And, well, wait, uh, wait, wait, Jeff. Show, man. Wait, Jeff, uh, before before you go, Jeff, you there? Yeah. Okay, yeah. before you go anywhere, yeah. since you're from, you said you're from Phoenix? Yes. Okay, yep. so were, were you down there for the Phoenix Lights? Do you remember them? Phoenix Lights, man. I don't, oh, uh, no, yeah. Talking about, like, some type of UFO, right? Yeah, well, it was over. It was a gig, the, the guy, the gigantic you know, string of lights that appeared over Phoenix. I think it was ninety six, seven, eight, something like that. Oh no, man! That was I, we just moved out here about two and a half years ago okay. from New Mexico. So no doubt. I'm more of an Area fifty one guy. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, thank you for that, man. Hey, hey, thanks a lot, Frank. Take care, man. Later. There you go. Um, uh, let me see here. Sean David Morton is a guy that I wanted to speak with about area uh, about the the phoenix lights and all that stuff and then he he's still holding on and I, I pray for him all the time and i'm waiting for some updates here but the guy's going through hell right now and, and i hope he pulls through i really do that would be a, a really wonderful thing to have him back on the show recovered and to see him doing his thing again um that would have been that would have been terrific and i hold out hope that it's still possible Let's see, 823, let's take another call. Nine, uh, 903, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, just Rob. Hey, what's going on, Rob? Oh, just Rob from the uh, the Rob. chat? I'm sorry, I couldn't get that. I said just Rob from the chat? Yes, sir. I'm in the chat. I just wanted to say hey all the way down here from East Texas, if you can't tell by my slang. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I love your show, man. I just wonder if you could possibly get Nikki back on. Uh, she's really a great moderator you have there. General. She does her job, and she entertains everyone respectfully. I certainly appreciate her. Oh, Nikki's the best. Nikki's and Nikki's. She's a she is a a pure OG too. She remembers the old. She's been around to remember the old studio. She is. Uh, she has joined elite. Uh, Elite status as far as years put in, but what do you mean get her back? She's she's out there, no? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying if you could get her on her voice or even her face, either one. I, oh, well, I, just, I have no idea who she is other than her name. So, uh, <laughs> I heard at one time she was on a video, but I haven't. You know, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a tracker or anything, so I haven't looked it up. But uh, if you get a chance, you know. Well, you know what you should do, just it. Rob, and thank you so much. I know your your screen. I recognize your screen name. Thanks for the call from East Texas. You should definitely encourage Nikki to call in. I mean, she's the only. She's the only one that can call in, but I see her having fun with people in the chat. All right, I guess 825, we'll do one more. 352, you're on the air. Hey, Frank. Who's this? This is uh, Cap Captain Flint. Captain Flint. Well, oh, welcome to the show, Flint. Thank you, thank you. Hey, I know for a fact that a voice of God stuff is legit. That's real. Okay, what, 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 what makes you th say that? Okay, so... Um, I work in the entertainment industry. Uh, I personally, I'm in live theater, like musicals, performance, stuff like that. And I have a longtime friend told me not to tell anybody, and here I am broadcasting it out. Um, he works for a major entertainment company. I'm in Florida, um, a big one. And um, sometimes they have corporate events where they, they lease out their facilities to corporations that's normally open to the general public during the day. Uh -huh. and, he's a, and he's an actor, and he was hired to work this corporate event. And during this corporate event, he told me about this technology where they use like a beam or a laser to 
specifically send uh, to talk to somebody in the room that nobody else can hear. Oh. And it's, yeah, it fit with the theme of where this corporate event was at to kind of creep people out while they're eating their dinner. If that makes any sense. Well, it does. I don't well, well, it does. Like well, well, my, well, my question, what, what was the point of rolling that? Was that a very private um, experiment to see who they can mess with and try out the technology? Or was it something that they rolled out and said, if you, you know, did they, did they come clean about what they were doing that night and that people were in on it? Or was it something that a very select few group, uh, people were, were doing to their, their select guests for the evening? Um, well, it's, I mean, it, it's, they were just doing it to random guests who were there. So I imagine they told their friends, you don't hear that, you know, they, I'm sure they talked about it afterwards. Yeah, there was some spooky, did you hear that spooky voice? And people sitting around the dinner table with them were like, so, no, I didn't hear anything. So at the end of, but, but yeah. at, the, at the end of the night though, Captain Flint, at the end of the night, the people who were getting messed with by the technology, they went home thinking, what the hell was that? They never had any closure on the subject. That I don't know. That is a good question. I never thought to ask him that. Mm. Like because if they ever disclose, hey, we were messing with you with a laser beam in your brain. No, because that like would. It? No, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that would freak. That would freak me out for years after the fact. I I, I would probably yeah. go, I'd probably go to a neurologist. Right, right. It, it it's very fascinating, and, you know, and it comes with Project Bluebeam as well. Have you ever heard of digital mapping? No. Did digital it's basically um. Digital mapping, it's, it's like, well, in order for you to see light, it's gotta, it's gotta reflect off of something, right? Yeah. You can't just freeze light in space and look at it. All light's a reflection off of an object. Um, but digital mapping, what it is, is you think of a projector that puts up, like on a movie screen, a movie. But if you were to take that same projector and shine it on something that's very three-dimensional, say like a, a parking lot full of cars, it would look all distorted, right? What digital mapping does is and this is just a wide known technology, you can look it up, it's out there, is they use lasers to make a perfect recreation digitally of a structure, of anything, uh, say a building, let's just say a castle even. Gotcha. And then they can, they can use that in order to um, create an image or a film or what have you that the projector is able to manipulate the projection in a way so that the projection will wrap around that 3D object and can make that object look like it's doing anything. Right. I, I, see, uh, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. 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 It well, really, if you were to take that same projection and put it on a flat film screen, it would look like weird color garbage. You might be able to make out a shape or two, but but once, once it has that 3D image in the computer and the projector is able to well, that would shine be... that, that would be Image one way. way. So, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, Ca uh, Captain Flint, but I, I have to get off now because of uh, book club. Thank you for the call. But I can see how, whereas that would not be something that is good for the the the, the silver screen, it would be great for any kind of a theatrical production, something that is being done live. And of course, that is just the benevolent thing that we can think about. Um, it could also be used in any other kind of um, live event where you want to dupe people at home. But, of course, once the cat comes out of the bag and it's been used in a theatrical performance, then uh, people will know that the technology exists and it could be used anywhere. That's the whole issue. 
Uh, Ricky Lynn says one. Oh, oh, Ricky Lynn just bought a one-month bronze tier subscription on Foxhole, which is great because now for one month, Ricky Lynn is going to be able to be a part of all the Sunday streams and all of the book clubs and everything else. It's a legit one. Salty Nuts says, good show. Thank you, Salty Nuts. Joe M says, here you go. Thank you, Joe, so much. Jay Simo on Rumble says, another excellent show. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. And um, Jay Britz on, quite frankly, superchat.com. Frank, I can see it now. Saul on the road to Damascus, and suddenly Jesus shows him a tablecloth coming down with nothing but bugs for mankind to eat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what I would say. No, this isn't Jesus. This can't be Jesus. uh, Laura G says, great show. The subscribe star email for Godfather Book Club had no link in it. What are you talking about? Are you serious? I linked it. Subscribe. Well, uh, I'll... Shit. What are you... I'm going to have to go check that out right now uh, because I did those before I did the email blast today. Stow Soup says, please accept a little token of appreciation for our boy Frank and his wonderful independent media, the one and only, quite frankly. Thank you guys and gals so much. That is all for tonight. I'm releasing the scratch it on quitefrankly.tv. Now, I don't know if um, I hope that they're they're ready to do the yes. to do the um, the Monday night right now, but by no later than nine o'clock they'll be going live so hang out on quite frankly.tv and i'll make sure that some some notifications go out i'm going to start book club right now i will talk to you guys soon thank you for everything but did i set the end did i set the end up did i nope no i didn't we'll be right back tomorrow we'll be back at seven o'clock i'll catch you on the flip side Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience and now Super Chatters, Stosu, Shake and Bake, Laura G, Jay Britz. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to uh, Jay Semo and all of our wonderful gold pillars on Pill.net and Foxhole, which is nestled cozily on QuiteFrankly.tv. And uh, I will see you shortly for a book club for those of you who are monthly subscribers and have been reading along. See you tomorrow. Get to QuiteFrankly.tv and enjoy after hours programming.